0: Hello and thank you for joining Cornerstone Worship Center's Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times and resources, we invite you to check us out on the web at www.abetterlifefor.us. We're starting a new series called Kings and Priests. I'm very excited about this. I preached this a couple years ago, maybe 3 years ago, and a uh, We decided to bring it back again. Pastor John and I will be uh, tag-teaming this over the next four weeks or so. And uh, very excited about this message because I think some of you in here need some clarity on your life. You need some clarity on what your role is, what God has called you to do, what direction He is is taking you, what destiny He has on your life, what the plans are. And I believe that you're going to have some clarity on that through this teaching. Will you receive that today? Amen. I mean, even even starting today, I want to help you because the Bible is real clear on what we're called to do. And uh, so we're going to look at the book of Revelation. And if you can't find Revelation, it's the very last book in your Bible. And as I told the early service, if you get to maps, you've gone too far. Back up a little bit. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1, If you if you've got it... Shout Amen. Verse 5 And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Is that us, you and I, today? How many of you are loved by God today? How many of you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb today? Amen? So this is us. The next verse, and has made us. This is the very same us that we just talked about in verse 5, is it not? Yes, it is. Pastor Eric, thank you very much for your um, cooperation here. Verse 6 says, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, God has done a really wonderful dynamic thing. By his own choosing, by his own will, God reached back into the Old Testament and into this partnership of kings and priests and brought it right into New Testament reality where we live right now. To the, those that are loved and those that are blood-bought, blood blood-washed, we are kings and priests to God today. And I'm going to clarify what that means. And God does, that, that happened quite a few times. I mean, from faith was in the Old Testament, just like it's in the New Testament. Communion was in the Old Testament, just like today it's in the New Testament. And, and water baptism was in the Old Testament, just like it is today in the New Testament. But, ladies and gentlemen, it has a whole bigger and better dynamic by One person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the substance of all those things that we do. He's the reason why we have communion. He's the reason why we water baptize. He's the reason why we live in our calling as kings and priests. Amen? Jesus changed everything. But because he loves us, because we've been washed in his blood, he's appointed us to these offices. And I want to tell you today that both of these offices are divine appointed. These are God-called offices. Now, the office of the priest is by God, and the office of the king is by God. And I want to help you today to know what your function is, and it's, it's critical for your life. It's critical for your family and, and ultimately for the kingdom of God that you know which one you're called to, and that you get there, and that you bear fruit there. Can I get a good amen? The, the, and, and, but, <clears throat> excuse me. So, let me make something very clear to, to you today, and that you must understand this principle, before we understand this whole teaching, that we as believers, as Christians, we live our lives on, on two levels, all right? We have our personal, our private life. Pastor John and I, we actually have a personal life. Pastor John used to talk about how, uh, you know, you hardly ever see him without a suit on. And, uh, and uh, a few years ago, he was um, out at a mall and uh, out in West Texas, and people just, that he knew from church, passed it walking right by him. Never, didn't even recognize him. And when they see him, they're thinking, what are you doing here at the mall? Shouldn't you be studying or talking to God or something? You, you know, he has, a, he has a personal life. We have personal lives. Well, all of us do. We all have a personal life. And in, that, and in your personal life, you'll function in both of these roles as a king or, or a priest. In your personal life, that is. I mean, there are times when I have to declare a thing. I have to decree a thing. I have to, make, I have to wage war for my family. This is what a king does. And there are times when I'm praying and I'm interceding. This is what the priest does. Are you hearing me? So you'll be, you'll be in and out of those things. But in the body of Christ, your role in the, in the actual body, in the, in, in the church, you'll function as a king or a priest, but not as both. And we're going to see through much Scripture here the, how clear that really is. Okay, are you with me? So understanding that we live on two levels as children of God. Amen. And uh, <clears throat> now you might, you might say, well, I don't think I'm either one of those things. Well, there's no other options that we read in that, in that chapter, in that verse. Right? We don't have the luxury of writing our own gospel. You're a king. He's made us kings and priests. Amen? Come on. Amen? So there's no other option there. Listen, you might not know which one you are, but you came to church on the right day. And today, I'm going to tell you, right now, right now, if you are not receiving a salary, paycheck for full-time ministry, you are functioning as a king right now. Right now, you're functioning as a king. Now, you might feel called to ministry, to, and, and, and praise God, if you're called to ministry, then go for it. Get there as soon as you can, but until that happens, you will function as a king in the body of Christ, all right? All right, y'all stay with me here. Is, I mean, I told the early service, if I, wasn't, if I wasn't preaching, if I wasn't in full-time ministry, I would be in burning buildings, fighting fires. That's what I'd love to do. If I had my choice, I'd be a fireman. I would. And then a hunt, hunting guide in the fall and wintertime. Uh, but uh, and that's a dream life. That's what my desire is. But God called me to be a priest in the, in, the, in the kingdom of God. He called me to be a priest in the body of Christ. So I'm pulling people out of eternal flames. Praise God. Hallelujah. Fighting fires that way. But uh, so we all have a place. We all have a role. We all have a, an office. And God has called us to one of those Two things. so in your personal life let me make that clear that you function in both roles but in the church or in the body of Christ you'll function in one are you with me amen Because I, I over the next few years, we're going to show you how to avoid traps we're gonna show you how to fulfill God's call on your life his destiny how many of you want to live out his plan for your life his purpose amen this will help you to I want to see you walk in it to bear fruit and to fulfill that destiny for your life and see the church suffers in this in this in the world today uh, because of the office, the office of the king has been so underdeveloped because there's been this not so subtle uh, message that, that you're secondary, if not in full-time ministry. And that's just not true. That's just not true. So it's been underdeveloped. It's like going, and, and the office of the priesthood has been overdeveloped. So it's like going down the road with two flat tires and two overinflated tires. It's not going to work out real well. Amen? Both of them are called by God, and I'm here to pump up the kings today. Are there any kings in the house today? Huh? I'm here to show you and give you clarity and help you, help you get to the place that God's called you to be and help you see who you are, who, who, who God sees you to be. Amen? And, and, and churches, sad to, sad to say, are, are, are full of unfulfilled kings. Because if you don't know your place, and you don't know your purpose in the body, then you'll just simply become a spectator. When you become a spectator, then you just kind of get bored and then you just fizzle out. I don't want to see any of you do that. I want to see you live in the call. Amen? Live in the dream. Because the success of one affects the success of the other. And when men, I want to tell you this today, when men and women are called to be kings, but they try to, to function in the priesthood, Bad things happen, and I want you to avoid those bad things. In every church, there will be a whole bunch of kings and maybe a handful of priests. This is a good example right here. I'm looking at a room full of kings today and maybe a handful of priests. And we see the biblical example in the Old Testament, uh, the the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes. Only one tribe were the priests, and the other ones were not. And the, and the, the other tribes were not trying to get priests from... The Levites were not trying to get priests from Judah or from Benjamin or somebody else to try to make them a priest. No, they knew their role and they functioned in that role and they were very successful at it. Amen. So if you're, like I said, if you're called to the ministry, get to it. Praise God. If you're not trying, uh, 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 if you're not, and you're tr- if you're not called to it though, and you're trying to be a priest, it will be the biggest mistake you'll ever make. I'm telling you, it really will. There, that, that's why a lot of churches are. Are going to funk. That's why they're closing doors all the time, is because many times it's a king trying to be a priest. And I'm going to prove it to you from Scripture. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to look through several bits of Scripture as I lay the foundation today, and Pastor John will will take you to another level next week. But uh, I believe this is going to help you today. We're going to here look at a king, not necessarily a king who tried to act as a priest, but we're going to look at a king who just simply neglected his responsibility as a king. Okay, Just not doing what he's supposed to be doing. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read about David. He neglected his calling. Now look, look at this, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle. What happens in the spring of the year? Kings do what? They go out to battle. That David, and we'll talk about why they did that. But that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, or Rabbah. But David, dun dun dun. Here's where the music in the movie changes. If this were a movie, this is where it would change. But David remained at Jerusalem. Where's David supposed to be as a king? He's supposed to be at war. But David remained at Jerusalem. This is a king neglecting what he's supposed to be doing, neglecting his responsibility. Amen? And the music starts. Donna 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 Donna. You know the shark's in the water, but you can't see him, but something bad is about to happen. Amen? But then it happened one evening that David just accidentally arose from his bed. And walked on the roof of the king's house and accidentally from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Whoops. (laughs) Now I know a little bit about human nature. I know that you don't just become a drug addict by one try. I know you don't get into adultery by, by, you, you don't just become an adulterer after being a man after God's own heart that David was called. It started with a process. I have a feeling this is not the first time David's made his way up those stairs and up on the roof at night to watch the women bathe. The women bathed at night because they did that to escape the heat of the day. And he actually made a law that no man could go up there and broke his own law. And how do you even know the king's house is higher than everybody else's house. He's got a, an advantage. So he just makes his way up on this rooftop, peeping David. But here in this chapter, because of David's decision, listen to me, it's so important. Because of his decision not to do what the king is supposed to do, he finds himself in great sin. He finds himself in a web of adultery, deceit, murder, and cover-up. Sounds like a lot of TV shows we watch today, doesn't it? But let's let this sink in for just a moment because I want to help someone here from messing up their lives. God always forgives us. How many of you know that God forgave David? Let me make that very clear. God forgave him, and God will always forgive you. But you and I both know that there are sins that if you choose to do them, God will forgive you, but your life may never recover from it. And David's life never fully recovered from it. He never fully recovered from this. He wanted to build the house, He wanted to build God a house. And he couldn't do it because of what happened right here. His own son turned on him, Absalom. What happened is David gets up on this rooftop, sees Bathsheba, and says, and sends for her to come to his, his chambers. She comes there. She's another man's wife, a man by the name of Uriah. She comes to his chambers and resists him, but not very hard. I mean, after all, this is the king. And so they have an adulterous affair. And she ends up pregnant. All he wanted was just a few nights of hot sex, but he got so much more than what he bargained for at this moment. And 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 he gets her pregnant. So now he's got a problem. Okay. So then he sends for Uriah to come home from where Uriah is supposed to be, just from where David's supposed to be. Calls for Uriah to come home. He gets Uriah home and he gets him drunk. And he says, "Now I want you to go. I want you to go uh, go, go lay with your wife." He's got a plan. He's going to cover it up. Sneaky snake. And then, and then he goes to bed. So David's thinking, okay, it's, got, it's all going to be fine. He gets up in the morning, walks out of his door, trips over Uriah laying at his doorstep. He said, what are you doing, Uriah? I slept here all night, King. You slept here all night? You didn't go home? You didn't go to your wife? And, no. He said, King, how can I? How can I go and enjoy the pleasure of my wife when I've got brothers dying on the battlefield? How many of you want Uriah as your friend? Hmm? Make a lot better friend than David does at this moment. How can I go out there? What a valiant man! And he, so David says, "Okay, what am I going to do?" So now, now he's he's the cover up didn't work and the lie didn't work. So 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 because Uriah was so loyal because he was so faithful to the king. David knew what he could do. So he, he sat down and he wrote out a letter. And he told Joab, the captain of the army, to, to, to put Uriah up front during the heat of the battle. And when it gets real heated, then, then have all the rest of the men retreat and leave Uriah up front. And so he rolls up this scroll, puts the king's sig- uh, signature on it, or his seal upon it, hands it to Uriah. Uriah goes running back to battle with his own death sentence in his hand. Too faithful, too loyal to open it up and sneak a peek like his king. Runs, gives the letter to Joab. Joab looks at it, and you can imagine Joab's face. And that's exactly what happened. When the battle got heavy against Ammon, Joab called for the other men to retreat. Uriah stayed up there, and Uriah stayed up there and fought for his life, but they ultimately took his life. And at the end of all of this, David and Bathsheba end up losing this baby. I mean, this whole thing happened. It all It's just a chain reaction. It all started when the king did not do what he was supposed to be doing. Can I get a good amen this morning? I know this is a little bit heavy this morning, but y'all stick with me, okay? Like I said, God always forgives. He always forgives. There was a pastor, one of our brothers out in Colorado Springs, you know this a year or two ago who had a massive mega church out there, great church. I, I went to a worship conference of that church a few years ago. And, uh, I mean, just awesome church. The, the president of the National Association of Evangelicals I have had a national platform, and in one night, maybe maybe more than one night, but fell into sin, and his whole life changed at that moment. Ladies and gentlemen, how many believe God forgave him? I believe God forgave him. How many of you know his life never going to recover from that, though? Never going to be the same. He'll never be able to get up there and pastor that church again. The bus. He got off that bus, and the bus left. And he ain't ever coming back. And the best thing he can hope for now is to at least keep his family together, and you know maybe get some full time job. And it, you know, but it won't be near what it was. He's forgiven. Certainly, God always forgives. God forgives you, and you better believe that God forgave him. But David is going to disobey his own decree, and he does this, and all this stuff happens. And he'll, he's going to learn this powerful lesson that sin will t- keep you longer than you wanted to stay. It will take you further than you wanted to stray. And it will cost you more than you wanted to pay. Amen? That's just the nature of the beast. That's how sin works. Hmm. If David had just gone to war, though, none of this would have ever happened. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to look at another example. Y'all still with me? Well, it's quiet in this denominational church today. Just kidding. 1 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to look at another king. Now this king that we're going to read about, he, he, he's not necessarily neglecting his kingship, he's trying to be a priest. I guess that is neglecting his kingship, trying to be a priest, but trying to take on that role. 1 Samuel chapter 13, look, look at this. Verse 1, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gebeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to to his tent. Now I'm going to tell you about this story. What happened was Jonathan took a few men, and they they beat up on the Philistines for a while. So then the Philistines said, oh, wow, Israel's attacking us with this two-year-old king. Remember, Saul's just been in here two years. He's very new at this still, and so, so Philistines gather up this army, and later on you're reading that chapter, uh, they, they have chariots and horses, and then it says, a number of foot soldiers like the sand of the seashore. That is a lot of people, and they, 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 they come down on Israel. They, they surround Israel, and, and, they, wanna, and uh, they see what's going on. And so at this point, Israel is outmanned, they're outgunned, they're outnumbered, and there's no way in the natural they're going to win this battle, but thanks be to God, they're Israel. And somehow God always pulls Israel out of trouble. And they had set a law back in Deuteronomy chapter 20. You can just jot this down in your notes, verses 1 through 4. What to do when Israel's about to go to battle, especially when they're surrounded with more men than they have. And that is they call upon a prophet or they call upon a priest who, who's in that priestly role. And that prophet comes and he declares to the people and encourages them to be strong in the Lord. And he makes certain burnt offerings for, for, for the people, for the campaign, and then they go off to battle. And these, these men, were, uh, these prophets were like secret weapons for Israel. God would speak to them, give them what to do, and, and, and if the Israel followed that, they would always win. I mean... I mean, way outnumbered so many times. We, you can read through the Old Testament and see how in the world there's no way in the natural they could win battles like that. I mean, you just, just look at Gideon as one of them who only had 300 men. Whooped the dog out of, out of uh, the, the Moabites. And, and this happened over and over again because these secret weapons called these prophets or priests were getting a word from God for them. And let me just say this. This world can be overwhelming out there. And the odds can be stacked against you. But if you continue to set under the influence of the man of God who's preaching the word of you just like you're doing, the word of God to you just like you're hearing this morning, praise God, you can win out there. Are you hearing me? You don't have to let the world beat you up and take you down. You sit under the word of God preached to you, and God will show you how to win. Amen? Can I get a real good amen? Praise God. And, and so here's Saul. He's, he, he knows that this law is in place, so they're waiting for Samuel. So they call for Samuel, and according to what Samuel told them, give me seven days. You're supposed to have seven days to wait for the prophet. Well, seven days come and seven days go. And so Saul freaks out because the people start scattering. They know what the law is, and they realize the man of God's not showing up. We're not going to win this battle, so they start leaving. So the pressure's on this young king. What's he supposed to do? What's he going to do? All those people are leaving. They have no confidence in him. So what does he do? Let's look at this. Verse eight. Then he waited first Samuel thirteen, eight. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me, and he offered the burnt offering. Ladies and gentlemen, let's just say this with me. He shouldn't have done that. Saul should not have done that. This is the king acting as the priest. He just simply should not have. Have done it. And look at verse 11. And Samuel said, Saul, I'm sorry I'm late. I got held up. My flight got canceled in Chicago and I uh, had to get another, another flight. No, no, no. What is, I mean, here's, here's Saul. He's, he's truly, I believe he truly is. I mean, him and Samuel's relationship is very close. These guys are very tight. And I, I know that Saul had to have been worried about Samuel. He didn't show up. The man of God didn't show up. What's the deal? What's going on? Something's wrong. Because when the other nations figured out that the prophets are the guys that are helping these guys win battles, they started trying to kill the prophets, and they did kill prophets to keep Israel from having the the advantage. So you can imagine just what all is going through Saul's mind, thinking that maybe Samuel got killed, he got apprehended on the way, oh God, help us. So he sees Samuel, so you can imagine he's coming out to greet him, oh, praise God, you're alive. And Samuel, the first thing out of his mouth, because he smells this burnt offering, what does he say? What? Have you done? Wow. Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? It just, it, it, it just seems a little harsh. What what let's compare what Saul did to what we just read about what David did. I mean, is your in your mind, is it the same thing? Huh? Saul wasn't sleeping around. He wasn't having people killed. He was offering up a burnt offering. I mean, you would think. Then he would just, you know, slap him on the hand and say, don't do that anymore. Shame on you, nodding, nodding. And that's it. Compared to what David did. Interesting. I mean, if I'm going to put it on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being David, the worst, I'd put Saul's sin here, maybe about a 2. God's teaching us something here, ladies and gentlemen. You and I must realize the power of this relationship of the king and the priest. It's so important to our heavenly father. Let me tell you about another king. And and, uh, you can look this up. This is the king Manasseh. This dude was bad news, king of Israel. Bad news. This guy made statues formed out of human genitalia and put them in the temple for him to worship. And he also put witches and warlocks in his council. And it's his secretary of defense. And he also erected this statue after a god they called Molech, and Molech they had a had a had a big big gut. Another god that's kinda of like that these days that they worship a big belly. Anyway, and they made an oven they made that, that belly an oven. And they would, they would get it white hot. And out here, Molech's arms would be out like this. And they put like this skillet here in his arms. And whatever's in the oven would heat up that skillet. And when that, when that would get white hot, they would throw their babies up there and sacrifice them to the god Molech. This is the king of Israel doing this. And time and time, as a matter of fact, Molech loved it so much, he threw his own children up there and sacrificed them. It's not a good king. We compare Saul to this guy. Listen to me. Manasseh. Then God got fed up with it and so he, he allowed the Philistines to overcome Israel and they put a ring in Manasseh's nose, tied a rope to him to a horse and they drug him through town, parading him as the loser and he went and kissed the Philistine king's feet and then the Philistine king threw him in prison. Why didn't he execute him? You would think he should execute a guy like that, but he threw him in prison. And while Manasseh is in prison, ladies and gentlemen, time goes by and the Bible says that he repented of his sin. And then it says, and God forgave him. And then the, king of, then the Philistine king told Manasseh to go back to Israel. Manasseh goes back to Israel, and God gave him back the kingdom. Wow. Wow. Manasseh, David, and all Saul did, did was look at verse 14. Samuel telling Saul, but now your kingdom shall not continue. Wow. That seemed a little harsh. God, did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed that day? Huh? Surely if a king does all that Manasseh did and gets his kingdom back, the most Saul's going to get is a slap on the wrist, right? No. Now your kingdom shall not continue. Saul loses his kingdom over a burnt offering. And we know that God is good. And, and, and it must have grieved God's heart to do this. It must have done that. To, to grieve his, it must have grieved his heart to, to have to ter- reject Saul as a king. But he could not allow this partnership to be contaminated. He could not allow the king to be a priest. He crossed the line. Kings and priests work together out of mutual respect and common need for the good of the kingdom. Are you hearing me? Now, I want to give you two main responsibilities. Now, there are lots of responsibilities, but two main responsibilities, the primary role for the king and the primary role for the priest. All right? The primary role for the king is that he, or for the priest, that is, that he provides the vision for the people. The Bible says that without vision, the people perish, or they cast off restraint, or one version says they act like wild animals or horses. Wild horses keep dragging me away. I remember that Grandy appreciates that he's a Garth Brooks fan. And uh, well, they, they they cast off restraint, and 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 they perish because they have no vision. This is my primary role. This is Pastor John's primary role is to pump you full of vision, to get the vision of God in you. It's not for me. It's for you. It's for the people, so that you. What one word for vision in the in the original Hebrew is is uh, is uh, uh, means to stay in your lane. I'm here to help you stay in your lane, to stay in the place that God's called you to be and run your race with all of your might. To not look to the right. You know, in the Olympics, we saw a couple of different times where I, I noticed that some of these sprinters, they stepped out of their lane when they, were, when they were turning the corner and stepped out of their lane, immediately disqualified. Just stepped out of their lane, just for a split second. One foot, one step out, disqualified. And I want to help you stay in your lane, to stay focused on what God's called you. And you have every right to expect that from me as, as your pastor. You have every right to expect that from Pastor John your pastor to come here and get God's vision for your life. Are you hearing me today? You have every right to expect that we've studied and that we've prayed and we've done our part as the priests of this house. Stay in your lane. Turn to your neighbor and say, stay in your lane. Primary responsibility of the kings is to provide provision for the vision. Priest provides the vision the king provides the provision, and this is why these kings went out to battle every, uh, in, in the springtime, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But the kings went to war, see, to bring provision for the kingdom. Now listen, I want to encourage you, tomorrow when you get up to go to work, I want you to see yourself that you're a king going to battle, that you're not just another person out there in this workaday world, another, another uh, uh, significant other out here in the world trying to make it. No, no, no. You are a king in the kingdom of God. Come on. And when you go to work tomorrow, I want to encourage you to present yourself as a king, to talk like you're a king, to dress like you're a king, to be a king. Amen? That's what God has called you to be. Amen? You're not here to just be in the rat race, to pay taxes, pay bills, and then die. Amen? Because you're living your life on two levels. You got your personal life, yeah, but praise God, you've got a place in the body of Christ. And When you come to church and you give of your treasure, you give of your time and you give of your talent, you're helping the kingdom of God go forward. You are fulfilling God's destiny for your life. Because God is all about his church. And if you're all about the church, listen to me, if you're about the church of God, if you're about the kingdom of God, then you are fulfilling what God's called you to do. Amen. I mean we can have all the vision in the world that we can we can talk to you about what we want to what, what this church is going to do and how we're going to reach out in the community and things like that. But how many of you know if there's no provision, the vision's not going anywhere? We're going to be sitting here spinning our wheels. I mean our wor- world is full of men and women who are functioning in the office of the king, but because they have no priest speaking vision to their life, they're running like wild horses. It's true. Grab a people magazine and read it. You'll find out that's true. It's happening. A few years ago, you might, you, well, this has been quite a few years ago. Now, there, there, was a, there was a wide receiver in the National Football League. At that time, it was, it was quite a bit of money. $3.4 million a year he was making to catch a football. How many of you could use $3.4 million? How many of you could use the point i I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with point four. I mean, he, he gets paid. One million dollars. <laughs> makes, makes more than the president. <laughs> but this guy, one day we woke up, and the headlines in the newspaper said that he was caught in a hotel room with hookers and cocaine. Now you'd think, what's our response to that? Idiot! What are you doing? You got three point five million dollars, and that's what you're doing with it? Well, I wouldn't do that. I mean, you know, we better ourselves by the failures of others. Thank you, Crystal. I will preach it. Let me tell you something. God did not gift this man to make $3.4 million to waste it on cocaine and hookers. But I can almost guarantee you this that he had no priest speaking the vision of God into his life, and so he had all the provision in the world, but he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't understand he had a purpose and a call, and God put that talent on the inside of him for the purpose of the kingdom of God. He didn't know what else to do with it. He's, he's a wild horse. He's unrestrained. I want, to hear, I want to tell you today that we need each other for this to take place. The king needs the priest, and the priest needs the king. And you're going to find over the next few weeks as we, as we get right down into the details of your calling, what God's called you to do I'm, uh, in this whole room full of kings. Praise God. With me and Pastor John, we're here to pump you up. We're here to encourage you, to build you up, to help you find your place and to walk and to run in your place and to stay in your lane, keep the vision of God uh, uh, in front of you, keeping your eyes on Jesus, keeping your eyes on the prize and fulfilling that call of God on your life with all that is within you. Amen? Come on, let's give him praise this morning. Amen! Oh, by the way, let me say something about that man. He did find the Lord. Praise God. He did get saved, and he goes to Pastor T.D. Jake's Church and he's putting his tithes in the offering plate down there. Amen. It's really good stuff. Found a priest and started getting vision and started bringing provision for the vision. Amen. Praise God, why don't we stand together this morning?) Once again, thanks for joining Cornerstone Worship Center's Building a Better Life. For information about our church, service times, and additional resources, we invite you to check us out on the web at www.abetterlife4.us. God bless you.